Well, today is a big day in the life of the church. We are, according to the church calendar, we are celebrating Ascension Sunday. Ascension takes place on the 40th day after the resurrection, after Easter. And so we celebrate Ascension Sunday on the nearest Sunday to that 40th day. So here we are. But we're also celebrating something else. The life of the church and the grace of God that is experienced in baptism. And so later in the service, as a response to the written and proclaimed word, we will celebrate a baptism with Catherine Henson. That's going to be a great moment and look forward to that. We um, have this two accounts of the ascension in front of us this morning. We have the account that uh, Susan read earlier in the, the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And then we have the account that I just read, that was in Luke chapter 24. Most scholars believe that the writer of Luke is the same writer as Acts. So these are like two parts of a continuing story, the Luke-Acts. If we look at it, we can begin to see some differences in the two accounts. Some people can get caught up in the differences. But the differences aren't nearly significant. They're not nearly as important as the truths that are relayed through these two accounts of the ascension. See, if you look at Luke, and it looks like the ascension takes place almost within 24, maybe 48 hours of the resurrection of Easter. Because he's not concerned about the timing in that particular work. When you read Acts, it's clearly 40 days. The author tells us it's been 40 days. Jesus was resurrected. He appeared to his disciples and taught them many things about the scriptures. He said it must be fulfilled. And then he ascended. In Luke, we're told that while he led them out to Bethany, and in Acts, we're told that they were still in Jerusalem. At least we're led to believe that. But again, I say the differences are insignificant compared to the truths that the writer wants us to know. Now, as I think about these stories and the account of the Ascension, I, I go back to these old movies. Maybe you've seen them. It's like the Maltese fat, uh, Falcon and Casablanca. There's old, the classics, the 30s and 40s, the 50s maybe. There's black and white movies where there's this relationship, this love affair is developing, and, and then somewhere along the way there's this, there's this plot twist, and, and then usually in the 40s it was the, the man was going to have to leave, so he boards a train, and there's his lover there on the platform watching him board the train, and, and then this woman watches the train leave, and with all the steam and the smoke billows up, and and she can't see him anymore, whether he's standing there on the steps of the train or, or behind a window pane. She, she can't see him anymore. He's lost in all of the smoke and in all of the steam. But she follows down the platform as, as far as the platform will allow her. Just to have as much time and as near to him before he's finally gone. Have you, you know what I'm talking about, these movies? These are classic scenes. And then when she's at the edge of the platform as the as the smoke and the steam begins to dissipate and she can see the, you know, the rear end of the train down the track and finally it's out of sight. And she's left there with tears running down her face. 
And she's kind of questioning. She wants to know, when is he coming back? Is he coming back? And sometimes the, the writer and the director and the producer, they, they, get, they let us off the hook. They let the audience off the hook. And, and sometimes when she turns around, there's this man standing there with coat and hat and suitcase in hand, and he never left. But sometimes... In my mind, the really good movies, they don't let us off the hook. The train leaves, disappears, and when she turns, she's the only one on the platform. And she's left with the question, when is he coming back? Is he coming back? And that's kind of the scene that we have in the Ascension. When we concentrate on this ascension story and we look at acts we have the disciples with jesus they've been with him for three years they developed a relationship he's their mentor he's their teacher he's their rabbi he's their savior he's they are his disciples they're his friends they are near and dear to each other and they have followed him to the edge of the platform and the train has left the station. And when they turn, he is not there. He is physically gone. And the question they are asking, we're given in verse 6. The question they want to know, the answer they want to know. Is this the time that you're going to establish your kingdom? And he tells them, it is not for you to know. The times or the seasons, but only our Father in heaven. They want to know when. They want to know if. This was the question of the early church. When is Jesus coming back? In that earliest church, in that first generation of believers, they had every thought and belief and and it's expectation that Jesus was coming back before they died. That was a problem. Because he didn't come back before those gen that first generation died. And Acts is addressing that problem. Acts is putting together this, this story that says it takes us from the birth of Jesus in early Luke through his life and through his teachings, all that he models for us, and then all that he did for us, all that he does for us, through his passion, his suffering, and his death. Now there's a way to look at this, and I think it's very important and helpful for us today to kind of pick up with that, that moment of death on a cross. And our faith tells us that on the cross, Jesus defeated sin. He defeated and conquered the adversary. And at the resurrection on that first Easter, Jesus not only conquers sin, but he conquers death. And when we read Acts and when we read Luke, the story doesn't end. That there's more work to be done. 
with the story of the ascension, with this account, we can begin to understand that there's, there's more coming. As, as one story ends, Jesus' earthly ministry, even before his death and then after his death and the resurrection and his appearances, up until the ascension, that's his earthly ministry. And the ascension kind of brings this to a close, but then springboards us to the expectation of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit among the people of God. The ascension had to happen. Jesus had to go away physically as we, as his disciples, and as we would understand mortal life. No longer is he subject to death. He was resurrected to a new life, a wholly different life, a mysterious life, a life that can appear out of nowhere, can come inside a locked room, that can appear as a stranger and can still eat and share drinks with his friends. This is a great mystery. And the ascension does not let us off the hook. But it looks forward to the next step. It looks forward to the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ. I invite us to consider just for a moment what Luke Timothy Johnson says in his book, The Creed. He wrote this several years ago as he was researching and writing about the Christian creed. He considers that line in the creed that we say every week. And he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sits at his, the right hand of his Father. This is what he kind of summarizes what this faith means, what this truth means about the ascension. He says, if our faith in the creed speaks the truth, then the question we put to Jesus is not nearly so important as the question Jesus puts to us. If the creed speaks truth, that Jesus now lives at the right hand of the Father, then learning Jesus is not a matter of scholarly enterprise and casual reading about a teacher of the past, but a matter of obedience to the one who presses upon us at every moment, encounters us in the sacraments and the saints and strangers, and calls us to account. The ascension takes us, the Christians, this faith community, the church, from the resurrection to Pentecost. It allows us to understand that Jesus Christ, by entering death, by giving himself up, sacrificially, out of love for us, conquers sin and the adversary on the cross conquer sin and death at the resurrection and maybe at the ascension conquer sin and human brokenness because now at the ascension we have Jesus Christ perfectly human perfectly divine at the right hand of God the Father which tells us something about how God the Father the creator of everything views humanity how 
important is our human body, our human spirit? How important is our material being? It is critically important. So maybe when we're on that platform, surrounded by this cloud, this fog of steam and smoke, just as the disciples were, maybe that's not a cloud, a billowy soft cloud lifting Jesus up on a magic carpet. Maybe it's far more frightening than that. Maybe it's far more powerful than that. Maybe that cloud that envelops Jesus is the presence of God. Terrifying, powerful. And that's where Jesus Christ, perfectly human, perfectly divine, now resides. And it's for our benefit. Because now, Jesus has the power and the presence of God in our life and in human history. Experienced by the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful, powerful promise. It's afforded to us by the ascension. So as we think about the ascension today, particularly today, as we celebrate 10 years of the Joseph Project, as we celebrate baptism into the community of faith, I hope that we can take seriously our faith in these creedal statements that we will make again in just a few moments. Statements about the resurrection of Christ, about the necessity of the ascension of Christ to be our Lord now, in this time, and in this place. Our presence, our space, our time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.